Welcome to the Profit First REI podcast, where real estate investors master financial management, eradicate entrepreneurial poverty, and learn to be profitable from day one. Now for your host, David Richter. Hey everyone, David Richter again with the Profit First REI podcast. Have another awesome guest on today. We have Paul Izell here, and he is—he actually does a lot of different things in real estate. He's got some education out there. He's got the Flipping Out podcast about virtual real estate investing, which is awesome because I love virtual real estate investing. I've done virtual real estate investing. Talks about cryptocurrency, talks about virtual assistants, virtual rentals, virtual property management, how to buy and sell property, sight unseen, a bunch of different stuff that he does. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be asking quite a bit about that probably Paul on making sure that I I get that uh, get that information out of you to bring to the audience here about what you actually do. But that's a little bit about who Paul is. But Paul, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, why you got started in real estate, and just uh, what got us connected? Absolutely. So my background I went to to Drexel University, got my degree in finance and economics. Awesome. Kind of thought I would do a little bit in the, in the financial side of the world, but ended up just going into real estate. And the reason I ended up going into real estate is all throughout junior high through college, I worked for my uncle who was a general contractor. And what he did, he bought a couple of properties. He bought a quadruplex and a duplex. We renovated them and he kept them as rentals. So that kind of got my itch going there. I saw how he cash flowed them and how well that worked out for him. He didn't do the fix and flip, but he would just buy renovate and hold. And that's all he's done for years. As a matter of fact, we did our first fix and flip together this year, finally. Oh, wow. First one awesome. fell. But yeah, that got me into that. So in 2001, I picked up my first property. It was a HUD property I bought in Norristown, Pennsylvania for 29.5. I partnered with a guy and we um, put about four grand into it and sold it for 69 a couple of months later, about three nice. months later. Did well. Yeah, we had 30K net. We split it up. So we each got 15K. That got me really interested in doing more, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I started doing a bunch more and all throughout the, even into the financial crisis, right? So 2008, 2009, what I had been doing was 95 to 98% fix and flip. I'd done a couple wholesale deals. And then I was getting crushed with these fix and flips, right? I'm sitting on the market, just tanking. I'm selling them. I'm selling them for losses here, paying off my private lenders, making sure they're whole, but just eating, eating these costs here. And I said, you know, I got to try a different method here. I want to do something different. I wholesaled those properties. It was great. There was no risk. I just assigned the contract where you got rid of them quickly. So I decided I'm going to flip my model. I'm going to go 90% wholesale. I'm going to do some fix and flip. And I'm getting in some owner financing. I kind of tripped into that in around 2012, 13 timeframe. But I started buying outside of my market, outside of the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania market. So I started buying in a little bit in New Jersey, a little bit in Delaware. I was out in Pittsburgh which already, which is completely across the other side of the state. So I decided, all right, why don't I go into Ohio, then Indiana. Next thing you know, I'm in Virginia, I'm in the Carolinas, I'm in Florida, I'm in Louisiana, I'm going all over. And then you know, up to today when I bought in 44 out of 50 states. And mostly what we do is wholesale these properties or wholesale them. So we get them. They're almost all bank-owned properties. We're buying most of them on online auctions like auction.com, like HubZoo, like RealtyBid, Hudson Marshall, all those different sources. And we just get them under contract. And then usually we try to do a back-to-back closing. If we can't do a back-to-back closing, what we end up doing is just holding it for a short time. You know, Usually 30 days, 45 days, we find a buyer and we, we close it again on the backside. 
So we do have a few more costs we incur with that, with the holding costs and everything. But we've got decent profit spreads and we've got no marketing costs. Like we don't pay a penny in marketing. Every property we pick up, right, is marketing cost free. So we can afford to have our profit spreads be a little bit smaller and still do fine, right? And we don't have to have that whole other side of the business going on. So we've done that. We've added the MLS. So we're buying off the MLS, not just locally now, but now we're in another market. We're into um, San Antonio, Texas, and also starting to dabble in Casper, Wyoming, and also um, Tucson, Arizona, because I have a great REO agent out there. Okay. That's awesome. That's, that's an awesome like just journey that you've gone on in your real estate life. So then what got you into the virtual world? And then how many deals, you know, like, so you're doing 44 states or you've done deals in 44 states. So how many deals are you doing in a year? And, you know, like how often are you doing deals? And, you know, is it always in, are you still, is it still the 90% wholesale and then 10% fix and flip and owner finance deals or how is that? So this year was a shift because of um, inventory, right? We decided last year, all right, let's shift focus and then try to maximize what we can get out of each deal. So we did okay. a lot more rehabs this year. I'm still doing some rehabs, right? Finishing up a few. Just did a big one. We started in Tucson, Arizona. Just finished uh, one up in Casper, Wyoming. And then I got 21 apartments under contract in Casper, Wyoming. So I may have another rehab going on there okay. too, but that's for rentals. Um, yeah, so we shifted. We're probably about... 65 to 70% wholesale right now. And then we have an owner finance model, which we do probably about 15%. And then the rest would be the fix and flip. And a lot of them are, are more local here up in the Pocono Mountains who are about two, two and a half hours away. I do a lot up there because that market has become very, very hot from a lot of North Jersey and New York people moving out and into that area. So that's done well. And to get back to your big part of your questionnaire, you were asking how many deals in general, we do anywhere from 60 to 130 deals a year. And we're doing big numbers here in the early 2010s, 11, 12, up to about 2017. And then what I did, I shifted my model slightly. And I said, all right, let me just go for the for the best spreads and cut down to me deals I do. So I, I went down like 90, then 80, then 60. And this year, we'll probably do around 65 deals, somewhere right in around 65 deals. Okay. Um, so we still, that, that's kind of like a, a comfort zone for us, doing that that number with managing fix and flips, right? Mm -hmm. and, um, and we're doing virtual fix and flips too, which is can be a little more difficult. So you have to have boots on the ground there, or we have like we have a great REO agent that I've had a relationship since 2013 or 14 in Tucson, Arizona. So I'm not afraid to do fix and flips there. He's got good contractors. So we're good in that market. And also now in Casper, Wyoming, because I, I did six deals in, in Wyoming this past year. I had never done a deal before in Wyoming and just kind of fell into these deals. They were all really good, positive cash flow deals. So I decided, right, let's do more in Wyoming. It's obviously been a pretty good market for us. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how it is. And that's where our numbers usually fall into. Wow, that's awesome. So then in what you're doing in the real estate now and kind of scaling back on the number of deals because of rehabs and the other big part that I took away from that was the f maximizing your profit yes. and your profitability and which is really what Profit First is all about, that whole mindset of making sure that you are maximizing your profit. So about that, so what made you focus? What made you scale back? What were the things that triggered you to say, well, I don't need to do this many deals. I just need to make sure that I hit this number. Was that more because you wanted to not do as many deals or was it from the aspect of, well, no, I can see I can probably make more profit if I do the less deals. 
Yes. And that was it. You hit it nail on the head with that right there. So I decided instead of just running around, yeah, there's deals I can get where I can make three, five, seven thousand dollars on it, but I'm working like crazy to do this, right? Why don't I just maximize what I can out of these deals? So instead of, for example, instead of wholesaling this property for 10 grand, if I know I can sell it in net 60 grand on a fix and flip and it's not that bad, I'm gonna do that. So yeah. especially in this year with constricted inventory, we've really shifted our focus to that. I actually bought the house right next door to me back here behind me. Um, I'd known the guy for a long time. My neighbor helped him out a few times during the snow. So he's an elderly gentleman. And when he passed away, his daughter came over and said he wanted to sell the house to me because he knew what business I was in and everything. Mm-hmm. And they gave me a really good deal on the property. And it works out. And we just wrapped up the rehab. We're doing a couple of minor little finishing touches there. But um, as far as paint touch-ups and things like that and a little bit of landscaping, and then it's going to hit the market and we should do really well. That would be one of our biggest hits of the year, probably. I expect it to be over 100K spread on that. And this wow. year, while doing this and maximizing the profit first, I think the profit first is really important. We're having our best year ever as a result of that. So, And I'm working less hours, which is great. <laughs> I love that. I, we've had people on here where we've had one major hard money lender where I was talking with her and she said she's done 50% less loans this year, but like the same but more profit this year yeah. than she's ever done because of that shift in the mindset of making sure that you are taking that profit first you are thinking of how can we actually maximize the dollars from what we're doing in order to in order to make it what we set out to do too because yes. i'm sure i'm sure like you just said you're now working less hours too but you're making the more money and your the profitability is is probably a lot better now than it has been because of what you're being able to focus on and so yes i think that is so important so i love anytime anyone gets on and can tell us where what they've done in real estate to actually be profitable i think that's awesome so tell us Tell us then about how big your team size is and how you do that because you talk about virtual assistants in your podcast and you talk about using them. So with all these deals that you're doing, what does the internal team look like? Ours is pretty simple and small. We like to keep it lean and mean, which of course adds to profitability, right? Mm-hmm. So it's myself, my disposition manager, and then we have a, a VA that I have that's full-time that does a lot of stuff for me. And then we have a 20-hour VA, 20, 20 hour per week VA that does stuff for my disposition guy, right? And he actually pays for that. So my disposition guy, who I pay handsomely, I pay him 25% of the net profit spread. Wow. He pays for all his own marketing. He pays for all his own stuff. And, and the relationship we've built up over the years, because I've known him for over a decade now, um, we actually created the educational company kind of together a couple of years ago. And we're just basically 50-50 partners in on that. Um, so it's working out really, really well. Awesome. We're nice and lean and mean. I think I'm going to have my wife do a little bit more this year. She wants to get involved and she wants to do stuff. And I think the educational side could be good. And also I'm trying to get out of the bookkeeping and the checks and all that kind of stuff. So I think, and she's better. She already handles that for the house. Now she can handle for the house and the business. Yeah. So I'm going to shift everything there and now allow me to focus more on growing the educational company uh, maximizing profits, thinking other things to get into, right? And uh, and growing the YouTube channel, things like that. Okay, that's awesome. I love that because people are thinking about that because they think doing 65, 130 deals with whatever you've done, you know, the max amount of deals that you've done. During the years, has it always been that small or did you have a lot of people and you kind of learned along the way that, no, I could actually do what I'm doing with less people or was it, did you ever have a big team that you would consider a big team? I never did have a big team because I've always been one of those guys. Like, I don't want to get rid of people. Like, it's hard for me to get rid of people. And I, I've 
feel pretty bad about it. Um, and believe it or not, I had a couple, two or three years where I was doing 100 plus deals, just me, no VA, wow. no disposition. I was doing everything. Now I was working a lot. I'm sure <laughs> it was nonstop. A lot of, a lot of nights were writing up contracts until 2, 3 a.m. in the morning and right back at it again, 7, 8 in the morning the next day doing wow. that. But that's not ultimately what I wanted to do, right? That's why right. I found I knew my disposition guy, knew him well, told him about what I was doing. He loved the model. So he was partnered with another friend of ours mm-hmm. and for a few years, and they did a direct mail, right? They started growing their team. And then the, the one partner had like his... In a midlife crisis, more or less what happened. His um, fiance ended up calling off the wedding and all this kind of stuff. So ended up being on bed. He moved away to California from the Philadelphia area. So my um, my, my current disposition guy, he stopped working for about a year in the real estate side. So I reached out to him. It was like perfect timing. It was like going to fall about six years ago. I want to say 2014, about six years ago. And he's been working for me ever since. We hashed out a deal. I said, this is what I'm doing. He loved it. He loves the model because he is... He didn't like having to deal with the buyers directly. Mm-hmm. He was mm-hmm. fine with dealing with the sell with selling the property. He liked that sales side, but he didn't like the whole A to B side where you're dealing with all these homeowners and stuff. And I shifted away from that in 2013. I was still doing direct mail with the auctions in 2013. Okay. Then I was I was getting so much inventory that like I don't need this direct mail. Let me shut it off because I can always turn it back on if I need to, right? Mm-hmm. So I shut that off. I was still occasionally getting deals up, up until 2015 from that direct mail, right? Because, you know, there's that right. lag time. People hold on to those postcards and stuff. Um, so that worked out pretty well. But no, I like a mean, lean and mean. And honestly, if I grow more, I'll do more with um, VAs. Because everything we do, we create videos and how we do it. We train the VAs with our videos. And it's pretty simple. If they can't conceptualize or figure out, we'll just go on to another VA, you know, and try to find somebody who can do it. If I could find somebody locally who could do it for five an hour, I would do it. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I love that. I love that model and what you're doing there and, and actually being profitable. So when you were scaling back, and obviously you've always had a small team, so that wasn't ever really an issue. Then when you were scaling back and wanting to become more profitable, did you have specific metrics that you were looking at? Was it just the net profit or was it profit per deal? Or was it the different avenues that you were getting them from and the different exit strategies or the different states? Like, Did you have different yes. metrics that you were tracking? All three. All three what you hit on there. So I, our net profit initially and in going back until around 2016, it was around $7,800 per deal. And I wanted to get over 10. That's a net number, right? Net 7,800. And I wanted to get it over 10. That next year, we were able to get it to around 12. So wow. I think it was like 11, 8, 11, 9, almost 12,000. So we really bumped it up. And that was a shift in a couple of different things. Like you said, focusing on different markets that were more profitable for us. One and two, we had a couple of different methods. One of them was also doing some owner financing. And what we found was with the owner financing method, let's say we picked up something for 20,000, we sold it to somebody for 40,000. We kept a note, we would get like 10 grand down, create a note for 30 some thousand, collect six months payments, which of course added more, and then turn around and sell that note. Worse, occasionally they would refinance out of the note, which happened a couple of times. Um, So those profit margins on the owner finance was almost $19,000 per deal, which really wow. helps. So that's why we started doing more with the owner finance. Love the owner finance models, no tenants, no toilets. I keep doing more. I keep adding more. Some sell off, some I get rid of and <laughs> yeah. you know, some pay off. And it's, it's yeah, you hate when you see them, oh, they're about to be paid off. I mean, I feel good <laughs> for, the, for the homeowner, but it sucks for me not going to make up for that payment. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, now that's awesome. I love, I love that you have that. So tell us, 
what were you actually tracking then? So besides the like profit per deal, was there anything else or how were you tracking that? Was that, you know, the mechanics there, was that a spreadsheet? Was that some yeah. software that you're using or? I actually make it pretty simple. We use an Excel spreadsheet for it, a basic, nothing crazy programmed into it. It's pretty simple, pretty easy to follow all, everything in there. You know, all utility costs, if we had to turn utilities on, the insurance costs, everything in there. Disposition cost goes, gets gets put in there as well. And that's how we come up with our net number. That is awesome. So, and I love it because do you have any complicated systems today in what you're using? Anything that you I don't, do you use a CRM or any type Podio. of software? Podio, we, we okay. Use, we use Podio and we keep it really basic because ours, we don't have to have all these different things because we're not doing direct mail, anything yeah. like that. So, and actually a lot of what we use is Google Docs too. We do a lot with Google okay. Docs because- what we do is we'll send all the properties in each market. Like my VA will get today, I think we sent six or 10, somewhere between six and 10 properties that we're bidding on in the MLS. The VA writes up the contract and sends the proof of funds and the whole email out to the listing agent. Listing agent gets it, emails us all back and says either, no, this is going to work, or this is already under contract, or hey, we're off, we're far off here, or we need to be here. Um, so we get that. It's, it's pretty simple. I, I followed the KISS theory. Keep it simple, oh. stupid. I don't want to make it too complex. I want it to be really simple and easy. If I have to think too much, I'm going to get frustrated. <laughs> no, yeah. No, I, I feel like you're the poster child for like what an investor needs to go out who wants to scale, but scale profitably. You yes. know, and like actually go out there and, and do the amount of deals that, ah, oh man. Because my story, I worked with a company where we were doing 30 deals a month, but we were doing it with 25 people. You know, like wow. there's actually a lot of people on the staff. So that was like, that was a, a little bit of a nightmare, but that was, I love what you're doing with what, so if you're listening to this podcast right now, you're hearing the knowledge, <laughs> he's dropping those knowledge bombs on you that you just need to keep it simple. That's one of the things that we do in the actual business where we help implement Profit First. I named it Simple CFO Solutions because we, we're trying to make it as simple as humanly possible. And it seems like you've made it very simple in your business. You've got the basic setups, you've got the Google Docs, Google thing, and you don't have to be fancy in order to go out there. And this is why you create the education piece yes. too, so, and to help people do that. So I, I love, I absolutely love what you're doing. This is amazing. And so I really, and I'm appreciative that, I know you thank me for being on, but thank you for, for coming on and sharing this knowledge because that a lot of the listeners, I'm sure that are going to listen to it, maybe haven't done their first deal or are, mm -hmm. or have done several deals. And it's like, okay, you know, how do we actually scale to be profitable? And this is one way to do it. It's it's this, in this model of not high overhead, looking at your deals, really tracking it. What is, what is being the most profitable for you right now? So that was it's important. It's so important to yeah. look at your numbers, your KPIs, Dave, you talked about this, knowing them. So we look at them quarterly, and I do a really hard look after the second quarter of every year because now you have two quarters and you can see trends. Yep. All right, this market has not worked out well for us. Let's get away from this market. This one's been much more profitable. Let's shift over here. Or owner finance has been way more profitable than wholesaling or fix and flipping has been the most. So we adjust. And then you adjust that in the second half of your year, right? Which mm -hmm. then either yeah, at the end of the year during a busy holiday time, but we always have downtime. I'll go and look at the numbers again. All right, what worked? What was great? What should I shift into here for the next year, right? Should we change anything or this worked good with our shift from the second half last year? Let's continue with that and see where we are after quarter one and quarter two at the end of the year. It's super important to know that. Keep it simple. I've been a part of uh, Collective Genius Mastermind, Investor Fuel, and I hear all these guys all the time. I want to scale, scale, scale. Like, 
But, and I talk to them all the time, why do you need to have this certain number? I say, you're, you're looking at the wrong way. Like I was in banking before I got into this and, and the banking industry, they're always worried about how many business accounts you open. I said, why are you so worried about the business accounts open? Why aren't you worried about how much money is in those business accounts? Because mm-hmm. the more I open, the more maintenance there is for people to handle it, the more people have to touch it and do it. Whereas if I just open one account, there's a ton of money in there. That's way less work for everybody. And it's more profitable for the bank. They never got that. The banks must get incentivized some other way with a number number of accounts, but I don't get it. For me, it's about profitability per deal. And if I'm going to do 60 deals and net 1.2 million that year, or if I'm going to do 90 deals and I'm only going to net 780,000, what am I going to do? I'm going to work less and get more. I want to do that. (laughs) Right. Exactly. It's really important. Some of our students are like, what what CRM should I get? What this should I get? I'm like, hold on, scale back. You don't have a deal yet. Get a deal. As you start getting more than one deal, we could talk about Podio and how you can do it because it's really easy for you to set up a VA to look at your Podio and be, and be working with you on Podio if you even need that. Honestly, you don't. You could do it all in Google Docs. You could do it in Dropbox and just have tasks in Dropbox. It's really simple. It's not that complex for us. We have A, a to B contracts. We have our B to C contracts. Pretty simple. Title company handles a lot of stuff. So it doesn't take a whole lot to be able to um, keep it simple and make more, maximize your profits in this business. Awesome. Yeah, you know? I, I absolutely love that. So let's, since this is the Profit First podcast, let's talk a little bit about when you said you were tracking, you're tracking the bookkeeping and things like that. Yeah. And so how often are you looking at the, either the financial statements or looking at the actual numbers of the business overall to see the health of the business and, and how often are you keeping track of, of the health? Monthly, you know, that monthly I'm looking at and I have it broken down each month. I have an Excel spreadsheet and each month I put in our deals, the number of deals and what the net profit was in each month. And we only had one down month this year and it was April because of COVID, right? When everything got shut down here, Pennsylvania, we weren't even allowed to um, show real estate, believe it or not. We were the only state in the union that didn't just shut it down. Yeah. I couldn't do my fix and flips. I had to wait for another month or two to do to get the fix and flips out. And even on the wholesale stuff, things got lagged and pushed into May. So my April was awful, but then the rest of the year has been really good. Right. Because everything got yeah. bumped down, it got bumped back, and each year, each month got more and more profitable. But yeah, you got to look at it monthly. You got to see what your profit is on each of these deals. Because I can usually tell what's going on. Like, all right, this is scheduled to close in November. This is scheduled to close in December. Like, I know what my year end is going to look like right now with what deals I have. And now these couple more that I'm putting on a market over the next couple of weeks. They may add more to the year end or it might just fall into January of next year. We'll see where it goes. But you always want to know where you anticipate your numbers are going to be for each month. No, You've yeah. got to keep on track. Awesome. I love that because that's that's really, I feel like that's the other, the power punch is you need to track the deal profitability, but making sure that the company is healthy overall. And that's why you know like you need as little overhead as possible and yeah. getting the max amount of deals with those people and making sure that you can still sleep and not be up until 2 a.m. in the morning and then yes. going to work at 6, 7 a.m. on the same contract. So yeah. Yeah. that's awesome. So good. I, I love that. So then we're getting down to the final few questions here. Is there any other tips or tricks or anything that you would recommend to real estate investors listening to this podcast? Definitely like for moving into the market that we're in, we're in that unknown. You and I talked about this. What what's going to go on in this market? When is next shoe going to drop? When is when are the prices going to fall? Really don't know because they've kicked down the REOs to the end of the year uh, as far as foreclosures. 
And even California has already shifted it to the end of March. It wouldn't surprise me if the federal government decided to kick it down the road again here. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you what, so the longer they kick it down the road, the more prices are going to go up because there's just no inventory, right? Yeah. There's not much. And people are, a lot of people in forbearance and they can go into forbearance for the full year. So they could be in there till the end of March or in April again for this forbearance period. So I think we have a few, maybe five or six months here, potentially where the prices are going to be pretty good. But as soon as they, and the longer they kick this down the road, the more catastrophic this crash is going to be, you know, because mm-hmm. you're going to have so much inventory flooding the market in such a short period of time. Forbearances go, then foreclosures happen. You're going to have, and we're looking at it as opportunity, right? So we're trying to stash cash for the crash, as we say. Um, so we're selling stuff, keeping certain rentals, getting rid of the dog rentals, and, you know, getting ready for that next crash so we can just jump on deals as they come. And, you know, it might be like the 2008 financial crisis, but it might be worse. It might be, it's going to be different. Every, every single one is different. We just don't know what's going to be. And we don't know how much a federal government is going to intervene or state governments are going to intervene. We're in uncharted territory right now. So I tell people to be a little bit careful. But I think over the next four, five, six months, I think you can make money on, on deals. So I'm still buying. As we yeah. talked about before this, I'm still buying and I'm getting deals and things are coming across and looking really, really good. I'm even buying a, 21 unit uh, rental um, place in in Casper, Wyoming, which is going to be a lot of renovations and stuff. But I'm looking at cash flow. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have 21 units that are going to rent between 850 and 900 per month. I know they're going to cash flow, even with higher rates and however things will go. I would still be in good shape as far as cash flow. So I feel safe going in with those. It just you know costs might get a little bit more with contractors. <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much. So thanks for dropping all the knowledge that you did today. The last question I ask, is there any way our listeners can provide value to you, whether it be connecting with you or whatever that you've got the education part piece? So what? how would you want the listeners to provide value to you? A couple of different ways. I do have my podcast too called Flipping Out, which is if you get the URL is www.thevirtualinvestor.co. They can also go to YouTube and find REO Auction Academy there. We're posting videos, at least two videos a week. I'm going to try to do more and more of those videos per week. Just give a little tidbits about what's working and what market, and what market, what we're seeing in the economy. It's a good educational thing. It's free. It doesn't cost anything. And if they're interested in our, our program, they can reach out to us at reoauctionacademy.com and we'd be happy to talk to them. Awesome. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes, the links there. So we'll make sure to get all that. So that's how you can provide value to Paul. Paul, so much. thank you so much for being on today. It was awesome. And it, we just really appreciate all the knowledge that you brought today. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. This, yep. this is a great podcast and I'm really happy to be on it. Awesome. Thanks, Paul. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. If you found this episode valuable, could you do me a quick favor? Can you give us an honest rating within iTunes? And be honest, you could say whether you liked it or not. And obviously with iTunes, the more reviews and ratings we have, the better it is for other people that are searching for a profit first in a podcast. So we'd love to be ranked on there. And that's thanks to your help. So we would really appreciate that if you would like to go give us a rating. Also, if you're looking to connect with us further, I would highly recommend checking out our Facebook group, Profit First for Real Estate Investors. And that's literally what it's called. So you can type in Profit First for Real Estate Investors and you'll be able to find our Facebook group right there. So come join active real estate investors who are supporting each other and growing their businesses and profits together. That's what that group is all about. The link should be in the description below. 
And if you're interested in working with us and implementing Profit First in your real estate business, we offer coaching and guidance. So if you want to work with someone who's actually Profit First certified and who works right now currently with real estate businesses, you can actually go start your application process by going to simplecfosolutions.com forward slash apply, or just go right to simplecfosolutions.com and there's an apply button right on there. If you want to actually start your Profit First journey with someone who can actually walk you through those step by step and help you know and grow your cash flow. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Profit First REI podcast. See you next episode.